Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Inspired by the mission 7 Billion Fulfilled People, I track down the greatest thought leaders on the planet and interview them about happiness and fulfillment. Today I'm speaking with Sonia Lewomirsky, PhD. Sonia is Professor of Psychology at the University of California, Riverside. She's been conducting research on happiness for 28 years and has been awarded numerous grants, including $1 million from the National Institute of Mental Health to conduct research on the possibility of permanently increasing happiness. She's the best-selling author of the books The How of Happiness and The Myths of Happiness. Her research has been written up in hundreds of magazines and newspapers, and she's appeared in multiple TV shows and feature documentaries. Her work is focused primarily on three critical questions. What makes people happy? Is happiness a good thing? And how can we make people happier still? Sonia, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. One thing I found really interesting, I mean, I knew that you'd been doing it for, yeah, like 28 years, almost 30 years, but... When you started studying happiness back in 1989, I think at the time there was only one other person in the whole world studying the subject, Edina, right? You were, you were That's number right, two. That's right, Edina, and he, didn't even, and he didn't even call it happiness, right? He called it subjective well-being. Uh, he mentioned to me once that he thought he couldn't get tenure, he couldn't get promoted uh, as a professor uh, where he was at the time, University of Illinois, um, if he was studying such a fuzzy, kind of unscientific-sounding topic as happiness. So he came up with this sort of term subjective well-being because it sounded more scientific. And it's just great because now, I mean, it's, like you said, like, like a fluffy subject, unscientific. But now, I mean, it's, it's widespread. Every, every business, every company is talking about like well-being, talking about happiness, mindfulness, all, all these kind of things. It's, it's exploded, hasn't it? It really has exploded, uh, not just in psychology, but as you say, like in organizations, uh, neuroscience, uh, other social sciences. Um, it's become yeah, an acceptable topic now that we, we sort of feel like we know how to measure happiness. Uh, we have some ideas about how to increase happiness. Um, now we can sort of offer lay people, including in schools and organizations, advice about, you know, what they can do to, to boost their happiness. You know, because once you're happier... Uh, lots of good things come to you. You know, happier people are more creative. They're more productive at work. They're physically healthier. Uh, they have better social relationships. So being happy isn't just about sort of feeling good. You know, it has um, it has a lot of benefits as well. And um, the kind of the idea of you know, I think there's many different uh, definitions <clears throat> of happiness, but you actually go with Ed's one, don't you? Where it's that combination of two components. On the one hand positive emotions, uh, joy, um, you know, all these kind of things, positive emotions. And the second component is a sense of your life has meaning. It's a good life. You've, you've got goals, you're striving for mm -hmm. stuff. So it's that sort of combination of the two. That's what we're talking about. That's exactly right. Right. I, I, I subscribe to the, that Edina's definition of happiness, right? As you say, the two components, the experience of positive emotions on a regular basis, not all the time, of course, happy people experience negative emotions too. But positive emotions like joy, contentment, uh, tranquility, pride, affection. Um, but, but just experiencing positive emotions isn't enough. Um, it's important to also have a sense that your life is good, that you're, you're progressing towards your goals, um, that you're satisfied with your life. So, yeah, exactly. Those, those kind of two components make up the definition of happiness. People adapt to almost everything. Why, why, why is that so important to know in, in light of what we're talking about? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting phenomenon. Called, it's called hedonic adaptation. Um, and, it, and it is, it, as you say, it's sort of this remarkable ability that human beings have to get accustomed to, to get used to almost anything that happens to them. And it's, it's actually a really good thing when it comes to adverse or negative events, right? When we, 
you know, like there was a big hurricane in the United States and people are already kind of adapting to sort of the losses that they've experienced and kind of moving forward, you know, and it's, it's sort of good that to have that ability, that resilience to adapt to negative things. But when it comes to the positive side of life, um, it's, it's not so great, right? You don't want to adapt to marriage, right? You want to be sort of as happy today as you were on your wedding day. You don't want to adapt to the new car that you bought or to your, even to your new shoes or whatever. So, but people really do adapt. Um, and it's a, it's an important thing. Uh, the reason, I mean, I, the, there's, there are theories about why we adapt. Um, we can't kind of constantly be sort of excited about the new car or, or even the new relationship. Um, but it sort of presents a challenge to um, researchers on happiness because one of the questions sort of is how do we maintain happiness and how do we become happier? And if we, if we get used to almost any positive changes in our lives, then how can we ever become sort of happier? But, but there are, there, there is research sort of to, to suggest sort of how we can try to try to maintain, you know, kind of that joy and happiness even after, um, you know, a positive event has already passed and, and we are, we're getting used to it. I mean, talking about the, uh, the, the sustaining happiness, I, I quite like, like the, uh, the Chinese proverb that you talked about, you know, if, if you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. Mm-hmm. If you want to be, what, what, what was the rest of that? Right. Well, I think it's it was if you want, okay. If you want to be happy to, for an hour, take a nap. If you want to be happy for a day, um, go fishing. Like, it? Go fishing. If you want to be happy for a year, um, you know, win the lottery or something like that. And if you want to be happy for a lifetime, help somebody else. Um, and this is this is sort of showing that um, you know, helping others. Actually, we do quite a bit of research showing that helping others, doing acts of kindness, actually a really not only does it help does it benefit others, but it benefits you because it makes you feel happier as well. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and, um, and so, and we don't adapt to uh, changes on our positive changes in our relationships quite as quickly. Right. So when you help others, you feel better about yourself as a person, your social relationships are improved, become stronger. You might make new friends. And those are things that you don't adapt to as quickly. Mm. Striving makes people much happier than actually achieving, don't they? The actual, I mean, it ties in the whole thing, you know, it's the journey, not the destination stuff, but that actual act of striving, going for something, that's, that's much more important. Yeah, I mean, of course, achieving also makes people happy, but it doesn't make you happy sort of forever, right? And, and when you think about it uh, from an evolutionary viewpoint, that it's good that human beings have this ability that like once we achieve a goal, we're like, okay, I've, I've done it, and they want to move on to something else, right? If we if we didn't adapt, you know, we would never kind of continue pursuing new goals, right? We kind of would stagnate. Um, but the sort of the downside is that we're we're not we're not content with just achievement. We want to continue striving, and so, but that does present a really, I guess, you know, simple recommendation uh, for maintaining happiness, which is that to continue pursuing goals, striving, always having something around the corner to look forward to is important. It's, it's interesting because I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's good to have those goals, but then where's that balance between sort of the goals versus the sort of the dissatisfaction, the grass is always greener, the grass is always greener, rather than, you know, it's, it's an interesting sort of balance, I guess. Is, is, it really is. There's a tension, right? There's a tension there because if you're constantly, if you're never sort of satisfied with achieving your goals, right, then you're not really going to be happy. But I guess you, you want to, I think, you know, I think the average sort of healthy person is, is really happy and satisfied. Like they get some, they get the promotion, they start a new relationship, they learn a new skill. um, They achieve a new like goal in their, you know, you know, 
running speed or whatever they're doing health wise. Um, and you, you really do feel happy, but then, but you don't just, you don't sort of stay there for a long time. Then you're like, okay, let's, let's pursue a new goal. So you could do it in a positive way, right? You could, you could sort of be flexible about your goals in a positive way as opposed to a negative way. The negative way would be like, ah, you know, I should have done better or my neighbor is even better off than I am. Um, the positive way is like, great, I, I, I achieved my personal standard and now I'm going to try to beat it. So, so you, you can have that both because another thing theme that comes up again and again and again and again, like in so many interviews is this idea of presence being in the moment, you know, living in the now. Um, but you can, you can have both, I guess, like you can live in the now, you can be present and also pursue future goals, future minded. It's, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Exactly. In fact, research suggests that uh, most people are a combination of present and future oriented, a little bit past oriented, mostly mostly present and future. And so really, the, I guess the key is to make sure the balance is a good one, right? So you don't want to be completely present, right? It's, there's a lot of talk these days about sort of mindfulness and being present. And that's great. I mean, you definitely want that, but you don't want to be too present because then you're not going to be able to pursue those goals, right? You're going to neglect some really, really important sort of things in your life. But if you're too future-oriented, then you're not going to really be able to stop and smell the roses and savor the positive things as they're kind of passing by you. So you want to have kind of, as, as I mentioned, the right balance between present and future, maybe a little bit of the past, because you don't want to forget the past. Sometimes it's important to sort of reminisce and, and, and learn lessons from the past. Mm. Over the years, I think you've... Um been called up many times by sort of like journalists and uh people asking for so you know they're about to write an article and they're like you know what are the sort of the five steps to happiness what are the three quick and easy things to be happier um because i guess we're a culture who we want those you know we want the magic pill we want the quick fix but your research has showed that happiness it, it takes work doesn't it it's not it's not a quick fix as much as we'd love it to be it's something that actually like a lot of good things it does take work day after day Exactly. You know, I, I kind of I hate that question, like, what are the three secrets to happiness? And sort of that's it. And um, I think in the West, I think Westerners especially are kind of used to they want that magic solution. Um, but, yeah, just as you say, like uh, when you think about any important goal in life, you know, you know, succeeding your career, being healthy and fit, raising happy, successful children. All of those are lifetime goals, you know, lifetime pursuits. And you, it's not like you just it's not, it's not like you go on a diet for two weeks and then you're done, you know, forever. No, you really, are, you really diet your entire life. Uh, I mean, you have to have a good diet your entire life. Um, and so the same thing with happiness, same thing with maintaining good relationships, right? It takes work, but that work does not have to be unpleasant. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge chore. It could be actually very fulfilling, meaningful, and even fun. And and the work is hardest at the beginning, kind of like with anything, when you're changing your habits. At the beginning, it's hard, right? You really have to effortfully and deliberately and consciously remind yourself to, to sort of think about, say, things in a more positive way. But then after a while, um, those, those kinds of thoughts become more habitual. And so the work is less. Um, and when you, once you develop those habits, then it becomes easier to maintain happiness. Mm. I, think, I think whatever, I guess whatever you call it, be it love, relationships, belonging, social support, but connection and connecting with people is probably one it's it's right up there isn't it it's probably one of the most important ingredients for happiness you know there's uh, different things it's often like subjective different things make different people happy but one common thing that you see almost across the board with like when you when you research the happiest people is they all seem to have this those strong connections in their life is that right yeah absolutely um there's a famous article um 
about sort of the happiest people that showed that the happiest people had good relationships or at least some they don't they didn't have to have a lot of you know they they could be like one or two really meaningful ones it could be so you know a number of friends um but they have fulfilling relationships and actually connectedness is one of my favorite uh, concepts you know this because as you say it could be a lot of different things it could be connecting with a pet you know but it has to be some kind of like strong connection to others um and that's partly why i say doing acts of kindness is so effective in boosting people's happiness because it involves connecting to others and when you think about almost any strategy that people use successfully to pursue and sort of become happier have to has to do with other people even when we sort of savor the good things in our lives we often savor them with other people or we tell other people about that um you know human beings are social animals right so so it's it's it is really critical for us to to connect with others what you were saying there made me think about because i saw one of the other things which was common in a lot of them and um even though this wasn't like paramount it's not like necessary but many people who were extremely happy often had some sort of um religious or spiritual belief and i guess that ties in it's maybe not so much about the religion or the spirit but it's i guess maybe connected that idea of connecting to something be it like connecting to your spirit connecting to nature connecting to the universe whatever you call it mm-hmm. it, it it ties into that idea of connection doesn't it yeah absolutely actually um the research on religion is really interesting because religious people and spiritual people are happier than people who are less religious or spiritual um and there are two kind of primary explanations for that one is actually something you haven't mentioned which is that people who are religious often have a community you know that they um that there's very strong and it, or in also part and they have strong families strong communities around their mosque their their temple their church um and so that could actually explain the a lot of the relationship between religion and happiness and the other one is sort of what you mentioned the sort of connection to god or some spirit or something bigger than yourself as you say and sort of that gives people a sense of meaning that sort of not having that connection does not give um and so yeah i guess you could interpret almost everything in terms of connection yeah and i, I was going to say this is maybe quite a um I know a, a crude one but even you know people every every Saturday they go you know they go and support their their local football team and it's about that you know the, the that community that they, they all you know they're all cheering for the same team they all want someone to win and it's that sense of I don't know brotherhood or sisterhood I guess so Absolutely seems- no it's not a crude example at all I mean because as you say you know how many people are are sports fans that are like completely like alone in their you know basement like not connected to anyone else i mean most people for most people it is a community i mean even if you are alone you're connecting to that community on tv um yeah uh and so yes yeah, so much is about connection you know people who are partying you know even when you're you know doing things that are not so good for you you're you're still connecting a lot a lot of time with others when you're in dysfunctional relationships people have such a strong need to belong and and to be loved and to connect that they will even stay in bad relationships. We were talking in the very beginning about how suddenly there's been this huge excitement in this area and uh so much new studies and you know in neuroscience and the brain in 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 so many different I guess fields that we wouldn't necessarily have known about at first but all these different people from different camps are exploring this. What has been in your opinion probably some of the most exciting things over the last I don't know like 5 10 years mm-hmm. in terms of um sort of research on happiness or yeah, thinking absolutely. about happiness um well I guess one of the things that I'm most excited about is actually the uh the idea that sometimes pursuing happiness can backfire and actually make you less happy um I mean the there's some researchers um that have already been writing about this for a while um and they they're talking about things like if you're 
pursuing happiness too much, sort of too intensely, if you're sort of too preoccupied with happiness, that makes sense that you're, that that's not going to be good, right? You want, again, as you say, everything in moderation. Um, if you're sort of trying to be happy at, in the, at the wrong time, in the wrong place, you know, that like the, the classic example, sort of happiness at a funeral or when, when someone else, when you did really great at a test and so, and your friend didn't, right? You don't want to show too much happiness. And so there's that side of it. And then what I've been doing with my lab more recently is sort of thinking about um, the pursuit of happiness and particular strategies that, that you're using to be happy and how they can, when, you, when they're not used in moderation, how they might backfire, right? So think about like doing acts of kindness for others. Can you be too kind? Can you be not kind enough? Certainly that that's the case. Uh, think about gratitude. We have to do a lot of research on gratitude and how that that is a very powerful way to increase happiness. But can you be too grateful, right? Being grateful too often might actually backfire, might make you well, might make you perceive gratitude as a chore, as a chore. Um, uh, being grateful might also make you feel um, kind of guilty and 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 uh, and indebted, right, to someone else, right? And when you're when you're truly acknowledged that like other people have supported you very much, and maybe you haven't paid back as much as you should. So there's a lot. There's sort of some some uh, I guess I would say unpleasant sides of not not really necessarily negative sides, but maybe. They don't, they don't always feel pleasant uh, of the pursuit of happiness. Um, and so I'm really interested in exploring that sort of to, when you try to figure out what are sort of the optimal strategies to increase happiness and under what conditions or situations might they be kind of optimal or ideal and under what conditions or situations might they kind of backfire or even undermine our happiness. Talking about the optimal thing, would you, do you avoid the idea of there being sort of the you know, we found the, 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 this is the optimal ingredients or do you, do you think it's very much, cause we use the word subjective at the beginning, like, is it very much, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world, very much everyone has got a perfect recipe, which is perfect for them. Or do you think there are some real common things which are just optimal and just for everyone? Like we, we talked about like connection, gratitude, but like, how much do you think is it like very bespoke? Like what, what's great for Sonia? What's great for Duncan? What's great for, versus there's just some things which are just everyone should take notice of yeah that's a great question um, and i really think it's both because you know clearly i'm a believer you know in the how of happiness i talk about the importance of fit right that we all have to find the kind of the most fitting happiness strategy for us so for some people it might be religion for other people religion is the last thing they're going to try and um, for some people it might be doing a lot of physical exercise which is definitely associated with happiness um on the other hand um, there are some common strategies that are going to probably be helpful for almost everyone, although maybe not everyone. Um, and so, so as you say, connecting with others, doing acts of kindness for others, um, nurturing and improving and strengthening our relationships is going to be helpful to, to pretty much everyone, I think. I mean, it might not be their number one strategy. It could be their number two strategy. Um, um, so that is really important. And then anything ha having to do with sort of having a more positive outlook, I think it's going to be helpful to almost everyone, but, it, but that might come in different forms. For some people, it might be trying to be grateful for other people like myself. I, I find gratitude really hokey. Um, and, and so I, I don't know. I, I mean, not that I'm not trying, I don't, I do try to be grateful, but maybe in, in, I certainly don't keep a gratitude journal that does not work for me. And for some people that works great. Um, but positivity or positive outlook can come from gratitude. It can come from trying to be optimistic about the future or just looking at the bright side when bad things happen, kind of having a cope, a more positive appraisal of, of when you're coping with, with adversity. Um, 
And so, so that's kind of, I guess, my top two. Anything having to do with relationships or connections with others, um, and anything having to do with sort of having a more positive perspective. Um, but how you actually implement those, what strategy you use, can can differ from person to person. I just, um, I just remembered something you you said up, you said on stage, um, which made me think about what you're talking about um, in terms of the, when hap- when things can backfire. Um, Say, for example, you're doing gratitude and you, know, you one person lists, I don't know, like three or four things they're grateful for and they can tick them straight off. If another person gives themselves a challenge of having to write 20 or 30 things they're grateful for, if they, if they can't fill those numbers, then what's what sorry explain that you'll explain that that's exactly that's exactly right no that's a great duncan a very very good eye there um so we actually are doing a study right now um just starting it testing that very question that if you ask people to count sort of too many blessings that it might backfire and and this comes from research on what's called the effort as information heuristic effort as information so what it means is when it takes you effort to come up with an answer that you actually use that as um, kind of as a signal that maybe, you know, there's something, maybe um, I can't come up with the answer. So the classic study actually was done um, with college students when after taking a course, they were asked to list, I forget the number was something like list three things you liked about your professor, as opposed to list 12 things you liked about your professor and guess which group actually ended up liking their professor less overall. The group that was asked to write to list 12 things, right? Because it's like they couldn't come up with 12 things. So they thought, oh, I must, I must not like this course as much as I thought I did. And so if you are asked to do list 12 things to be grateful for, and if you have a hard time coming up with 12 things, you might conclude, oh, gee, I must not have that much to be grateful for in my life. You know, my life sucks. Um so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's one way that, that uh, sort of, that's one moderation. Again, another example of moderation is, is key, right? You want to sort of count just the right number of blessings. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? Um, well, to me, it's really getting back to what we were talking about before. A lot of it has to do with connection and relationships. So in my life, you know, my family, my friends, uh, you know, of course, mean, a huge amount to me, maybe the most important thing in my life. I have four kids from ages four to 18. And so they're really, really obviously important to me. Um, um, and then for me, my work means a lot too. So something, something like we were talking before goals that you're pursuing, you know, um, for me, it's my job. And I really, I'm lucky that I have a job that, that is really meaningful and, and there's a lot of variety and novelty to it. So you, you don't rarely get bored. Um, so, so those are kind of the two, you know, the two, the love and work, you know, Freud said that love and work are kind of the most important things for a mentally healthy person to have. And so I guess we go back to Freud uh, and, and confirm that. If over the last sort of 20 or 30 years, you know, one of the big questions was, you know, first of all, like, what is happiness? And then like, what can we do to kind of make ourselves be happier? If, if we're we've tackled those questions in a, in a good way, I mean, there's still obviously a lot of work to be done, but what are the big in this field, are, are there any big unknowns, any big gray areas, any, what are the big question marks still that people are tackling or there's a lot of energy going towards? Yeah. Um, well, th- I think there's several, but I, I guess for me, I would say the really, b- the biggest one is really how, how do you, you know, create a, a happiness strategy that has a really durable impact that lasts, you know, forever, that lasts for many, many years, right? So how mm. do you, how do you make someone happy and maintain and, and help them maintain it 
for, for a lifetime. I mean, that's really, really hard. I mean, that's, that's the kind of the billion dollar question when it comes to health and fitness and lots and relationships too, right? How do you get people to have a relationship for a good relationship forever, right? Never get divorced. Um, how do you increase happiness and, and, and stick with that? Um, because people will get happier, but then they sort of get less happy, less happy again. Right. And then they, they have, they have to sort of start again, maybe not from the beginning. Um, as I said, I think learning those those habits are, is important, but it's, it's it's hard to maintain good habits, right? So that's really that's really the hard part is is how to maintain happiness. Mm. Absolutely, because I mean one one of the things from the how of happiness, it's um you know that is now being you know reused and kind of like many times and kind of referred to as this you know, that sort of that pie chart where you know fifty percent is you know your genes, your DNA, and then ten percent, only ten percent, we think it'd be much more is sort of you know your your relationship status your job all these kind of things which we think would be we give much more energy to thinking that's going to make us really happy but actually it's only a, a meager you know 10 percent, give or take could be 15 could be eight and then 40 percent is what we can actually really actually act upon what we can do you know those things you know acts of kindness gratitude um so my point my point is if 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 there's such a big chunk which we can actually act upon and we can really uh, change ourselves this is very i guess utopian but like if if i could learn how to be happy you can learn 10 people could learn 100 people a 1, thousand people what what do you think is the main roadblocks stopping like really widespread like millions and millions of people billions of people just living in this yeah li- living in happiness what what, what sure. what's what's stopping us that's a good question. Well, first of all, I, I want to say a few things about the pie chart because it's often misinterpreted. I think you described it really well, um, but it's often misinterpreted because it's really not about individuals, right? So it's not like forty percent of, of my happiness is kind of under my control, but it's really it's a really about um, a population, um, and those those three factors uh, interact and affect each other, one another, right? So your genetics, your genes affect your life circumstances. Your life circumstances affect your genes and sort of turn them on and off. Um, um, and then finally, the, it, it's really, it really is meant to apply to kind of like the average sort of comfortable person in the West, you know? So if you're living in a war zone or you're in a, an abusive relationship or your health is really bad, um, then those life circumstance part of that, that pie chart, it's going to be a lot more than 10%, right? It's yeah. going to be 90%. Um, and so when you, when you think about like the billions of people in the world, um, probably for most of them, the obstacle to happiness, the biggest obstacle to happiness is the, is their life situation, right? So for many, many people in the world, um, who are living on very, very, you know, small amount of income, you know, per day, um, and, um, don't have the kind of safety and security that, that we're used to. So that's going to be the biggest, you know, obstacle to them. Now, if, if your basic needs are being met, and we're talking about a lot of people in the, in the developed world, um, then it's not going to be that it's going to be, um, for, for a lot of them, it's going to be the genetics, right? So if you have um, a predisposition for depression or anxiety or eating disorders or addiction, that's going to be a pretty big hurdle. doesn't mean that you can't be happy, but it's going to be a hurdle. Um, and then um, and then for the rest of us, it's, it's sort of, main, as we talked about, it's sort of maintaining those habits, right? Just because you can change happiness doesn't mean that you're, you're going to or that you're going to be willing to put the effort into it. It's kind of like, with health and fitness, right? We all know what we need to do to be healthy and fit, but most people, many people don't do it. Um, and so we, we know what we need to do to become happier, to be, to have more meaning in life, to flourish more, 
but doesn't mean that we're going to sort of have the will to do it. Um, and doesn't mean that we're going to have the, I don't know, the energy, the motivation to sort of maintain um, those habits. So I think for, for a lot of people that we're sort of talking about, um, it's going to be that. That's going to be it's really it's going to be I guess the motivation that's going to be the biggest obstacle. And this is the question I always ask at the end, and I'm, I'm not asking for the the magic pill as we've discussed. But what is one thing our listeners can start doing today that will have an impact, have a positive impact? If they had one sort of actionable thing to go away and do. What would you suggest? Yeah, I guess I, I guess if I had to start with one thing, yeah, it would be with connection, right? So doing something to connect with more with others, the, I think the easiest and the most straightforward is to do something today to help someone else, um, to do some kind of act of kindness that you don't normally do, right? It's something that if you're always being generous at the office, whatever, do something different um, because that's going to, you know, even if it doesn't make you happy, it's going to make someone else happier uh, or improve their days. So that, that would be the first thing I would start with would be to do like one or two or three acts of kindness today. Amazing. Last but not least, how can people find out more about you and your work? Where can we send them? Um, I think the easiest would be uh, my, I have various websites. The easiest one to find is Dr. Sonia. Um, oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting. It was drsonia.com um, or sonialubomirsky.com. Um, I can look at Or the how of happiness. Drsonia.net. So Dr. S-O-N-J-A dot net. Thank you. You got it. You knew it. <laughs> Sonia, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Thank you. Great to talk to you. Uh, thank you for your really excellent questions.